Welcome to another edition of Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're going to be talking about land, lots of land. We're talking about a major piece of legislation that passed the Congress just a few weeks ago. Amidst all the talk about partisanship and how we can't get anything done in gridlock, this bill called the Lands Package, which also included the Land and Water Conservation Fund, passed the Senate. I think the vote was an amazing 92 to 8 totally bipartisan, heavily negotiated, been worked on for two or three years, a huge deal for the country. One of the newspapers said it was one of the great land conservation measures passed in decades. So my first guest to talk with about this is Kate Dempsey, who's the executive director, president, CEO, Poobah. I'm not sure the title of the Nature Conservancy in Maine. Kate, what is your title anyway? Well, these days I go by state director, senator, but you can call me Kate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think Grand Poobah is pretty good. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Well, tell me what your reaction was when you heard that uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund was reauthorized. Well, your opening comments were right on. I mean, it was such an exciting evening, and it also just reinforced what we all already know in Maine, which is that nature is really a uniting force for all of us. Mainers care more deeply about the natural world and see its connection to our daily lives and our economic strengths almost more than anyone in the country. So I'm glad the rest of the country, Senator, knew what you and Senator Collins already knew, which is that nature brings us together. And the conservation community around the country was pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, as you said, this was an overwhelming vote. It's particularly notable these days. But I think the other piece that's really important is all of us have been working together on this for a long time. So whether it's the outdoor industry, whether whether it's the Senate, whether it's organizations like the Nature Conservancies or your next guest organization, we have been trying to figure a path forward together. And, you know, it also shows me that sometimes compromise is acceptable. And some of us still think that there are paths forward. And this bill was a really great example of finding a path forward and sticking to it. I thought it was also significant because there is this public impression that we can't get anything done and we can't agree on anything and everything is partisan. I can tell you from sort of the inside down here that probably the strongest advocate for this bill in the Senate was Richard Burr, a Republican senator of North Carolina. I mean, he really was so totally into this and pushed uh, Senator McConnell to include that in this package. And that made it a particularly good lesson to all of us that if you work together the way the arithmetic is around here, you can really get things done. And if all we do is fight, we can't. Now, let's dig into a little bit of the background. This goes back to 1965. And it's not funded from taxpayer dollars. It's funded from the royalties that the federal government gets from oil and gas drilling off in the Outer Continental Shelf. Is that right, Kate? That's right. So Congress, about 52 years ago, acted wisely and said, if we are going to lease oil and gas drilling, then some of that money needs to come back to protect the things that we all care about deeply. And as you said in the beginning, and most of that money has gone directly into land conservation. And we can talk about the other elements of what it supports, but there is no cost to the taxpayers through the LWCF program. Yeah. And it comes from these royalties. It's allocated, but it also, it's not just land conservation. It's recreation as well, right? That's right. So Land and Water Conservation Fund protects things like Acadia National Park, but it also has helped to support things like the Camden Snowball 
or town parks. So it's from iconic places in Maine to something right out your back door. And so I think, again, what you see is that there's widespread use of the funding in states, and it means that all of us have access to the outdoors, all of us have access to you know, the places that we hold dearly in this state and around the country. So that's pretty exciting because we know also that recreation brings a ton of revenue into Maine. Well, I was going to ask about that because this isn't just about loving nature and nice views and that kind of thing. It's really, as you mentioned, I think Maine, among all the states, maybe Alaska would be the only other one that is so deeply intertwined with the natural environment. Do you have any estimate of how many jobs are involved in outdoor recreation in Maine? Yeah, we're our that there's about 76,000 jobs connected to the outdoor industry and recreation. So it's just over $2 billion in wages and salaries and actually gives back to the state of Maine over $500 million in state and local tax revenue. So outdoor recreation is a huge generator of wealth in this state, and we see huge numbers of consumer spending. In my sense, and Stephanie may want to reflect on that, that's only increasing. It's not something that we're seeing a decrease in. And that doesn't count the full implications of people that come to Maine just to look at the place. Yeah, that's right. And you were a big advocate of this when you were governor, and you know all of us have been working on it since, is that people come to Maine because, one, if they can get here, and two, despite what our saying is, can't get there from here, but you can. And once you get here, you're in a place that is different than much of the rest of the country, and people really value that. So I think it's what's been it exciting is how all of us have worked together over the years, as I was saying, to make sure programs like LWCF and the Forest Legacy Program are benefiting the state of Maine in such a robust way. And you're with the Nature Conservancy, but there are a lot of other groups, Appalachian Mountain Club, the Trail People, let's see, the Trust for Public Land. There are a lot of groups that are working on these kinds of issues. And I thought one of the most interesting studies I saw some years ago was people say, well, you're taking land out of the tax rolls. You're taking land off the tax rolls. And what the study showed that I saw was that you take a parcel of land and set it aside for conservation, allow people to use it for whatever recreation, that it increases the value of adjacent property so that the net effect on the tax roll is pretty negligible. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. And I think what also gets sometimes lost in the conversation is Land and Water Conservation Fund helps us in Maine and across the country do things like keep our forest economy robust. So programs like the Forest Legacy Program means that Maine's iconic forest, you know, 17 million acres of forest land gets to stay in production. And as we've talked about before, Maine requires that lands that we're putting in conservation also has public access to those lands. So you have the dual benefit of, on the forest side, forest land staying part of our communities, fulfilling multiple benefits to the planet and to our economy, and people get to go still enjoy it. So you get the tax benefits because private landowners still own those lands. And then, as you were mentioning, we know that where there is conservation, there is an increased benefit to people who live near those properties for their own value of their properties. Kate, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a single favorite conservation project in Maine? 
you know, that's like asking me which which of my two children is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, um, every now and then somebody says, where's your favorite spot in Maine? And I say, are you kidding? I'm not going to answer that. But I thought you might have some good stories about some special places. Stephanie can talk about Acadia when she comes on, so I won't pick that because everyone will pick Acadia. I have two favorite spots. One is very local which is Popham Beach State Park, which I know is close to you, also, Senator. And so that's one of my favorite local spots, and I go there to regenerate when I just need a little quiet. But the place that's the closest to my heart is the Debskeneggs Lake Wilderness Area, which is part of the Katahdin Forest Project. And the Nature Conservancy was able to conserve that area because of the Forest Legacy Program. And that's near Baxter, and it's open to the public. And it has some of the most pristine lakes you will find anywhere, frankly, on the planet. And you go up there and you are transformed. You are reminded that Maine is a massive state in terms of landmass, and it is absolutely as beautiful and as amazing as any place I dream of, like you mentioned, Alaska or Montana. And I think we forget that sometimes, but you go up to some place like the Debskeneggs and you go hiking and you look down on Rainbow Lake and it's absolutely clear and pristine and you kind of pinch yourself. So that's one of my favorite places to take guests to Maine, to take my family, and on occasion go fishing. I think another thing to mention that's important because people sometimes think of this as a kind of yes-no, black-white choice. Many of these conserved parcels are still in use. They're still in use for forestry, uh, for sustainable forestry, for recreation. It's not like they're set aside and a fence is put around them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think all of us in the conservation world and um, well beyond understand that to be successful, these lands need to be a thriving part of the communities that they're based in. And in Maine, in terms of forest conservation through this land and water conservation fund, there's been over 700,000 acres permanently protected. But when we say permanently protected, that means in forest management. Most of those acres are still managed for forest products. And that is really essential to all of us, as I said, helping small communities thrive, helping our forest economy continue to grow and change into the future. And frankly, it helps the Nature Conservancy achieve our mission because forests, the scope and size of ours in Maine are really important to keep intact when the climate is changing. We need those forests there. So productive forests, managed forests are really important to all of us. I think a lot of people in southern Maine particularly are surprised that something like between 15 and 20 percent of our gross state product comes out of the forest, whether it's pulp and paper, lumber, new products that we're working on. I mean, the forest really in many ways are one of the really powerful economic engines and have been for 100 years and will continue to be. Again, I think it's important to emphasize that what we're talking about today is not in any way in conflict with that goal. It's the, These lands are not being locked up. They're not being kept out of production. So I think that's an important part of it. That's right. Yeah. All of us together with the state of Maine work with private landowners to identify which lands are most suitable for programs like this. And we work with them to conserve them and, as we've talked about, keep them sending pulp and paper and many other products out into the world. And they generally have public access, and many of them maintain hunting and fishing rights. Is that correct? That's right. In Maine, that's what we require, actually, to participate in these programs. Well, I think that's a big deal.
we know what we know locally, but there are parts of the world where you've got to be a wealthy person and you got to pay a little rent or something to go hunting or fishing on someone else's land. And in Maine, we've had this tradition going back well over 100 years of public use of private property, and that's continuing even though some of that property is now falling into these various conservation-protected status. Yeah, and I think that's why we have really such robust support of these programs and programs like the Land for Maine Future program here in Maine is that we require this public access for hunting and fishing and other recreation. And I've actually talked with many a hunter who've said, you know, I don't have the ability to leave to go hunting. I want to be able to go out in my backyard. I mean, in Parsons Field, there's a great forest legacy project called the Levitt Plantation. And that's, you know, that's right in people's backyards. And people have access to snowmobiling and hunting and fishing right there. And what do you hear about Land for Maine's future? Is there new initiatives to refund and reinvigorate that program under the new administration? It's very exciting, Senator. You'll be happy to hear that there was a bill introduced last week by the Speaker and many others, and there's robust support from Democrats and Republicans already. So we're seeing great enthusiasm for a revitalized land for Maine future. That's great news. Well, listen, Kate, thank you for what you do, and thanks for your advocacy. Uh, I don't know what you guys are going to do now when you come down here if you don't have Land and Water Conservation Fund to beat on us about. I mean... (laughs) work together to get that fully funded and keep the program moving forward. But thank you and Senator Collins for all your support. Well, she was a key ally. And again, this was entirely, well, if something's 98 to 2 by definition, it's entirely bipartisan. We've been talking to Kate Dempsey of the Nature Conservancy about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, work we're doing here in Washington, and how it's going to pay off for Maine. Stay with us. In a minute, we're going to be talking to Stephanie Clement, who works with the Friends of Acadia about the economic engine of eastern Maine and how the work down here in Washington is affecting that community and that asset. Acadia, coming up. We've talked mostly about Land and Water Conservation Fund, but the other part of this bill was called the Lands Package, and it had little pieces that involve uh, projects all over the country, including our own Acadia National Park. And Stephanie Clement is here with us, and Stephanie is Conservation Director for Friends of Acadia, and she's one of the key people that keeps that organization focused on the good deeds and the good work that the Acadia National Park does for the region and for the state of Maine. Been up there Gracious, Stephanie, 20-plus years, is that true? That's correct, yes. I consider myself the luckiest person around. They hired you when you were 12. It was amazing that you had that kind of... uh... I think you're very kind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, and Kate, if you're still on the line, you can join in, but I wanted to talk to Stephanie about the Acadia bill that Susan and I had in this package that also got passed. Stephanie, what's in it that you like? Well, Senator King, first I just want to also add my thanks to you as the sponsor of the bill and also to Senator Collins as a co-sponsor because the bill really did a number of things that were beneficial for the park, both some kinds of cleanup things that needed to happen and also some new initiatives that were very helpful. The first thing the bill did was reaffirm that the Scudic Woods addition to the park should be added to the park. So legislatively, it's now fully established that it is part of the park and 
that I think was very helpful to local residents to affirm it through legislation that it should be part of the park. Well, maybe I ought to stop there and explain for a moment that what happened was there was a 1929 act that created the park. And then in 1985 or six, there was a bill passed when Bill Cohen was in the Senate that defined the boundaries of the park and basically said nothing else can be added unless specifically approved by Congress or something to that effect. And then there was a 1,400-acre gift to the park several years ago that the Interior Department accepted and made part of the park. And then it turned out maybe it was in violation of this 1986 law. So we had to go back and fix it. Is that a reasonably accurate summary of how we got here? Absolutely. I think that's very fair. And I don't think anyone up here ever doubted that the Scudic Woods section should be added to the park. I think everybody recognized that that land that was immediately adjacent to the park offered tremendous opportunities for wildlife corridors and for recreation. And I think it's turned into a real economic generator for the area as well with the addition of the Scudic Woods Campground. Well, to define where it is, it's just for folks that are trying to visualize, this isn't on Mount Desert Island. This is on the Scudic Peninsula north and east of Mount Desert. Traditionally, part of that peninsula has been part of the park, and this was added to that. Is that correct? That is correct. It's the only mainland portion of Acadia National Park, and it's a wonderful kind of quiet experience that you can have out on the Scudic Peninsula. A lot of people love that section of the park for watching the waves and for bird watching or for bicycling and hiking. So it's a gem, I think, that's part of Acadia National Park that many people don't know about. And it has within it a beautifully designed RV park, which I mentioned it to someone. They said, an RV park near a national park? Yeah, because people who come to national parks have to stay somewhere. And speaking as an RVer myself who has stayed at that park, it's a great addition. And as you mentioned, I think it's turned out to be economically beneficial to, what is it, Winterport and Goldsboro right there? Yeah, Winter Harbor and Goldsboro are the main two towns there on the peninsula. So it's, yeah, I would agree 100%. And it really is a wonderful, quiet experience that I encourage people to go experience. The other piece of the bill, or one of the other pieces of the bill involving Acadia, was the clarification of historic uses of the intertidal zone. Can you fill us in on that? Sure. First, I'll start by saying there's been a long tradition on the coast of Maine where folks can use the intertidal zone for clamming and worming and other marine harvesting activities. And that dates back to the, I can't even think of the name of the rule, but it's... The legal term is the time when the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. There you go. That's a long time ago. So basically it establishes that the intertidal zone is, you can fish, fowl, and navigate in the intertidal zone. But several years ago, there may have been a ranger here, a law enforcement ranger, who might not have been aware of the traditions that had been established here to allow for that fishing in Acadia's intertidal zone. And so there was a dispute that came up about clamming at Acadia's intertidal zone. And this legislation helped affirm and clarify that these traditional marine harvesting activities, specifically really clamming and worming, should be allowed to continue in Acadia's intertidal zone. And by putting that into law, I really think it helps both the harvesters feel like they are assured that legally they're allowed to do what they've been doing, And it also helps clarify for the seasonal law enforcement officers that we get here at Acadia National Park 
that it is allowed, it's acceptable, and that they don't have to worry about it. And uh, this is a meaningful source of income for a number of people in the region. And as you say, it's gone on for many, many years. So it's nice to be able to get it squared away and without any doubt. And that's what this bill does. Now, what this bill doesn't do is deal with the maintenance backlog. Talk to me about that. Too true. The maintenance backlog here at Acadia National Park is, it is of concern. It's almost at $60 million right now. And that is for a variety of projects, everything from road rehabilitation to water systems and electric lines. And the maintenance building, I was up there last spring looking at it, and there's a big maintenance building that's in pretty bad shape. Absolutely. A lot of these facilities date back to, I think it was Mission 56, is that what it was? But it date back more than 50 years, and they have really outlived their lifespan here. And the Park Service has been kind of helping them limp along. But the maintenance center, which houses everything from the carpentry shop to the auto shop to the painting facilities, it has a crack that runs all the way through the center of it. And also the concrete blocks that it's made out of are slowly disintegrating on their own. So those are the kinds of facility degradation issues that we need to address when looking at this work to try to direct more funding towards the deferred maintenance backlog. Well, $60 million at Acadia, and the national number is almost $12 billion for facilities all across the country. And this past summer, a group of us, let's see, it was Rob Portman and myself and Mark Warner and Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, so a pretty good cross-section, got together and have a bill in to take excess revenues from mineral drilling and apply to this uh, backlog. So that didn't make it in this package, but we're hopeful for this year. I talked to Steve Danes, who's the chair of the National Park Subcommittee, and uh, we're hoping to move that this year. So that could be a great step forward. This is something that's been sort of on the back burner for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being a leader in that regard. We really appreciate all the effort that's going towards recognizing the facilities in our national parks. I've heard someone say that actually national parks are second to the Department of Defense in terms of the number of facilities that the parks have to maintain. So that's huge. And at Acadia, when you think of all of the campgrounds that have to be served, the road system, the trails, the carriage roads, it really does add up over time. So we really appreciate all of the attention that you brought to the issue. Well, let's talk about this year. How does it look? And did the shutdown, which affected the National Park Service, did it affect Acadia? Is it going to throw you off for when you can open and hiring people, that kind of thing? How are we set for the new season? Everything's in process. We're not entirely sure what the long-term effects of the shutdown will be, but you're correct in identifying that hiring really is the biggest issue. It takes about three months for the National Park Service to hire a law enforcement ranger or a dispatcher here at the park. And that's because both the position announcement has to be approved and there are limited human resources professionals in the Park Service who are located regionally. Well, three months, you're into May already. Right. And I did see the deputy chief of law enforcement the other day at the grocery store where we all do business in Maine. (laughs) And uh, she did indicate that they've been able to hire six out of 10 of their positions, which is really great. So I am hopeful that things will be on track for opening on time. The other key part of opening on time, though, are all of the maintenance folks that need to be hired, the people who will be able to flush the water systems and get the plumbing lined up and put out all the picnic tables and the campgrounds and do that sort of work. 
so I haven't heard how the maintenance staff is doing. And then the other concern really are the seasonal interpreters who are in the park. The park had decided to hold off on accepting school field trips in the spring until they knew what kind of staffing situation they might have about how well they could accept those school field trips. I'm still hopeful that everything will work out okay. We're just mindful of these sorts of effects that the shutdown did have. Well, the good news is, of course, all the attention was on the wall and the dispute about the wall, but the uh, appropriations bills, which were all teed up and ready to go, uh, could have been passed some months ago, they passed last week, including the Department of the Interior, which is now funded through the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. So at least we don't have to worry about another shutdown or another interruption between now and the end of the season. Let me back up. Tell us about Friends of Acadia. Who are you guys? How do you fit into the work of the park? Sure. Friends of Acadia is a nonprofit. We're located in Bar Harbor, and our mission really is to help preserve and protect the park and the surrounding communities for the inspiration and enjoyment of future generations. So you're not part of the park. You don't work for the Park Service. That's correct. I often say we when I speak about things because we do so much in partnership with the park. Sometimes I use the we when I should be saying Friends of Acadia. But <laughs> we try to help our park really in four main ways. One is we raise private money and make donations to the park to help with everything from maintaining the trails and carriage roads to funding internships and funding education programs and field trips to the park. And then the second thing we do, some of our programs are done cooperatively with the park. So that could be everything, as I mentioned, to these school field trips from the Acadia Teacher Fellows Program. And we also help run the Island Explorer bus system or fund that system and plan So the third thing we do is we also try to advocate on behalf of our park before Congress, the state legislature, and in local government bodies. Yeah, I usually see you down here at least once a year. That's right. In fact, I think David will probably be by your office in a few weeks. Okay, good. And then the fourth thing we do is we support volunteerism. Anyone can come by the park any Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday during the summer and early fall and head out with a group of folks on the trails and carriage roads. So it really is great to have citizens give back in so many ways. Well, I was talking to Kate about the economic implications of land conservation and the sort of natural environment of Maine. Do you have off the top of your head figures as to the economic impact of Acadia in the region? Yes. It's estimated that visitors spent over $284 million in local communities around the park, and that helped support over 4,000 jobs. That's a lot of lobster rolls right yeah, there. <laughs> it sure is. That's true. And we just commissioned the Margaret Chase Smith Policy Center at the University of Maine to try to get an assessment of additional economic impact as folks travel through the state on their way to Acadia. And I believe that was almost up to another $200 million on top of that. So we have quite a tourism community here, that's for sure. I'll tell you a funny story that bears that out. When I was in Augusta, when I was governor, I used to go to uh, the Welcome Center down on the Turnpike at York and greet people coming into the state on Memorial Day weekend. You know, hi, I'm the governor. Welcome to Maine. Where are you going? It was just a kind of, you know, nice thing for people coming to spend some time in Maine. Anyway, I'd always say, you know, where are you headed? It was amazing. 85% said Acadia, Bar Harbor. And about 85% of them thought it was about a half hour up the road. Oh, dear. (laughs) Uh, And (laughs) I, I had to say, well, you know, you might want to stop over in Portland or Booth Bay or Rockland, it's a little bit of a hike from here, but it really was an eye-opener for me to realize how iconic that place is to people 
who are visiting our state. It's a it's a tremendous draw. We are so lucky, and I'm even luckier that I have it right in my backyard, which is a true joy in life, I would say. Kate, are you still with us? I'm still here. It's so fun hearing the two of you catch up about how important Acadia is to all of us. Well, I wanted to ask you what you're hearing about Katahdin Woods and Waters and how they're doing and whether they're getting visitors and getting off the ground. What's so exciting about all of that region, Senator, is that so many people in those communities are really coming together to build a path for themselves and get the word out about what there is, including the monument, including Baxter. We talked about the Debskin eggs earlier. There's so many resources for people to recreate. And isn't there a new trail that's being developed up there? There is a new trail, and my sense is that people are going in. I had some friends from here in Basque go up and go mountain biking this winter already. And so I think what we're going to see immediately is a lot of Maine people using it. And then your reflection about the toll booth is you can get between the Millinocket region and Acadia. And the more we can get people moving back and forth so they see both sides of Maine, you know, the North Woods and the coast, you'll get such a greater sense of what Maine is and how diverse we are. By the way, Stephanie, in a hearing a couple of weeks ago, we had the guy who's nominated to be the head of the Park Service, and I suggested if we could get this park maintenance bill through that I suggested a method for determining how the money would be allocated, and I said, why don't we do it alphabetically? Bravo. I like the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we'd do okay. I'm afraid Zion uh, might not do so well at West, but Rob Portman signed on because he's got Cuyahoga in in Ohio. You know, that's, uh, that's but, just uh, your signature, bringing everyone together based, based on hierarchy, <laughs> Senator. <laughs> that's it. Well, listen, thank you both, Kate Dempsey and Stephanie Clement. Thank you for the wonderful work that you do. It means so much to the state of Maine and to the people of Maine, and, and I'm just glad that we were able to hold up our end down here and make a contribution, and we'll continue to keep at it. What fun. Thank you. Great to hear yes, you, Stephanie. <laughs> yes, great to hear you as well, and th- thank you so much, Senator King, for your leadership. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being with us on Inside Maine, talking about land and land conservation and the economy and how all those things tie together, and even something that we did down here in Washington that looks pretty good. So that's it for Inside Maine. I'm Angus King. Thanks for being with us.